I bring you greetings from our brethren in Atlanta, Georgia, as well as Columbus, Georgia, and Macon, Georgia, where my wife and I were last weekend for Pentecost, a very inspiring weekend. Now, one of the lessons of Pentecost is that God has manifested his love towards his people, his church, by pouring out his Holy Spirit. The New Testament church began on that annual Sabbath in 31 A.D., and it continues this day walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. That's Acts 9, verse 32. So we worship God with appreciation for all his blessings, for the gift of the Holy Spirit, and his promises that he'll never forsake us nor leave us. So how do you communicate with your Father in heaven? We can communicate by singing, which we do in the congregational singing, but I hope you do in your heart and at home from time to time. We communicate by listening as well, listening to the sermons, listening to the telecasts, and even audio Bibles. Some people uh, actually have the audio and listen to the Bible that way. And, of course, listening to nature itself, the chirping of the birds and the wind and breeze through the trees. Uh, God speaks to us in many different ways. We also communicate with God by reading his holy word and knowing that this is something that we must be instructed by. We want to learn. We want to grow. We want to obey. We want to be transformed in the very nature and mind of Christ. But we also communicate to God by talking, and that is another way of saying prayer. But do you, some of you, find that your prayer life often gets into a rut? Or do you find that your prayers sound too routine? I won't turn there, but Jesus said in Matthew 6, verses 7 and 8, When you pray, use not vain repetitions. And sometimes I turn on the television uh, religious programs and I see this vain repetitions over and over again. I might just mention in passing that it's not wrong to use the same words. Uh, you don't turn there, but Matthew 26, verse 44, Jesus prayed three times fervently that night before his crucified, and what does it say? Speaking the same words. But they were not vain repetitions. So I just want to get that balance in terms of our prayer. But has your pr- prayer become more of a chore rather than an opportunity? How can you stimulate your prayer life? Well, this afternoon we'll discuss ten strategies to stimulate your prayer life, and that's the title of the sermon, Stimulate Your Prayer Life. You can have more life, more enthusiasm, more zeal, and, of course, greatly improve your relationship with God our Father and Christ. Number one of ten ways to stimulate your prayer life is meditate. Meditation helps you to prepare for prayer. It helps produce exciting and valuable vital thoughts ahead of time. You'll turn to Psalm 1, the first psalm. We have that exhortation and example even in the first psalm. Psalm 1, starting with verse 1. Blessed is the man. And sometimes we think of blessed as being happy. 
Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of the sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. The way he walks, the way he stands, and the way he sits is contrary to God's way of life. But the one that is the one who doesn't do that is has his delight in the law of the eternal. And his law, and in his law, he meditates day and night. I know I used to uh, make sure, and I'm reminding myself at the moment, that every day I would read something from the law, that is the Pentateuch, the first five books of the law. But, of course, the, the magnification of the law is still in the New Testament as well. But he meditates on God's law day and night. My turn to uh, Psalm 8. Psalm 8. So ask yourself in terms of meditation. Some of the deeper questions of life, you may have done that sometime in the past, but when was the last time you asked some of those deeper questions? Psalm 8, David did. Of course, he had time under the dark skies when he was shepherding the sheep. Psalm 8, starting with verse 3. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers... Well, if David is considering the heavens, he's meditating, he's thinking about it. He's wondering about the heavens, the moon and the stars which you've ordained. And, of course, uh, yesterday at 9.30 a.m. was a full moon in the eastern coast. So that designated the 15th of the month on God's sacred calendar, uh, C-Van 15. And it'll be just four months from yesterday the 15th of the 7th month, will begin the Feast of Tabernacles. So how many of you saw the full moon last night or the night before? Good. Oh, some of you are not getting out. A good, uh, oh, that looks only about 70% of you, 30% are missing out on, on the heavens. Well, unless you had light pollution and you couldn't, well, you couldn't help but see the moon. It was just brilliantly a beautiful full moon last night and the night before. When I consider your heavens and the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you've ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you visit him or care for him? He's asking deep questions. What is man and the son of man that you care for him? What is my purpose in life? What is going on here in the world? And I'm sure you must have asked that question once in life, but of course we have... Dr. Meredith's booklet on your ultimate destiny, which covers the answers in depth to those questions. So we thank God for the matter that he's revealed that purpose for us, and we can meditate. This is uh, Lesson uh, 21, uh, starting here, Understanding Original Christianity, Tomorrow's World uh, Bible Study Course. Lesson 23, Understanding the Power of Prayer. That uh, Read a couple of the sub- subheads here. Understanding Christ's Instructions. Praying in Jesus' Name. Examples of Answered Prayer. Different Kinds of Prayer. Listing uh, Prayer, Supplication, Thanksgiving. And then on to Keys to Answered Prayer. Can Prayer... Really change your life. And then tools for spiritual growth, lesson 23. And here Mr. O'Gwin writes, 
How can we exhibit more of the fruits of God's Holy Spirit in our lives? God is just as willing to grant spiritual growth in our lives as he was in the lives of the men and women of faith mentioned in Hebrews 11. The key is that we must utilize the same tools for spiritual growth used by men like David, Daniel, and Paul. What did they do? They prayed and talked to God regularly. I might just interject, do you talk to God irregularly? They fasted to draw closer to God and to humble themselves under God's mighty hand. They fed on the principles of God's word by studying scripture and they and then deeply thinking and meditating on how to apply its principles in everyday life. Prayer, Bible study, meditation, and fasting are tools for spiritual growth. These were tools used by countless men and women, servants of God, to draw close to their Creator in times past. They allow us to be more filled with the mind of God and to utilize His power more fully. So here's the man that was one of God of God's own heart, man of God's own heart, who considered the heavens and asked, what is man that you are mindful of him? And the son of man, you consider him. Turn on to Psalm 19. Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork. Day unto day utters speech. And night unto night reveals knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. It's a witness. The universe is a witness. And I mentioned to you before, I believe, that uh, June Astronomy Magazine has found out that not uh, our universe that was estimated for decades as being uh, 100 billion galaxies, each with 100 billion stars, was off by a factor of 10. When they found the Hubble telescope focused on blank, dark spaces in the space, they found many more galaxies. So now they have upped the estimate from 100 billion galaxies by a factor of 10 and more to 2 trillion galaxies. What are they doing there? Well, you could meditate on that. It says in verse 14, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Eternal, my strength and my Redeemer. So he said, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. We had uh, sermon number 830, words of truth, and sermon 840, the meditation of my heart. So godly meditation will help stimulate your prayer life. By the way, when I mention these sermons, the number is you know, kind of may be irrelevant to some of you, but all you need to do is go on lcg.org website. And in the upper right-hand corner in the search bar, just type the title of the sermon. And these sermons are available on the Living Church of God org website, lcg.org, and you get any of these sermons. So number one, godly meditation will help stimulate your prayer life. Number two is to negotiate in a godly way. Now, we say in a godly way because the world has negotiations in a carnal way. 
who negotiated, who do you think in the Bible ever negotiated, if we say that in a godly way? Turn to Genesis, and the whole story is here in, in uh, chapter 18 of Genesis. You know, uh, the eternal and two angels were going on their way to Sodom and Gomorrah, and uh, Abraham hosted them, and they, they blessed Abraham. But the eternal said in verse 17, Genesis 18, verse 17. Shall I hide from Abraham what I am doing? Seeing Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. So the the eternal, the one who became Jesus Christ, was going to share with Abraham part of his plan and part of his action. He said, because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, that he came down to see what was going on more personally in verse 20. Then verse 22, then the men turned away there from there and went toward Sodom. That is, the two angels went on their way, leaving the eternal with Abraham. But Abraham still stood before the eternal. And Abraham came near and said, would you destroy the righteous with the wicked? No, you need to, when you, when you read what Abraham was saying, it almost sounds like he was really too aggressive, too bold. Was he? Will you destroy the righteous with the wicked? What are you doing, eternal? Suppose there were 50 righteous within the city. Would you also destroy the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous that were in it? And now look, verse 25. He's preaching to the eternal. Far be it for you to do such a thing as this, to slay the righteous with the wicked. Wow, you think, uh, zap, you've had it, Abraham. No, God is not threatened by our aggressiveness and our boldness. He knows that we are dust, and he is willing to, uh, he wants us to be bold in a right way. So, Far be it for you to do such a thing as this, to slay the righteous of the wicked, that the righteous should be as the wicked. Far be it from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? Aren't you going to do right? It's, it's almost like he's preaching to him. Then the eternal said, you know, a calm, informative answer. If I find in Sodom 50 righteous within the city, then I will spare all the place for their sakes. But now, wait a minute. Abraham starts to put a little humility here. Verse 27, that Abraham answered and said, Indeed, now I am who, I who am but dust and ashes have taken upon myself to speak to the eternal, to the Lord. So again, Abraham is humbling himself in one respect, still being bold on the other hand. So again, he says, well, are you going to destroy it if there are five less? What about 40? Then verse 30, let not the Lord be angry. Uh, Suppose there are 30 righteous. Then he goes down to 20, verse 31. Then he goes down to 10. Suppose 10 should be found there. And he said, I will not destroy it for the sake of 10. Verse 33, so the eternal went his way as soon as he had finished speaking with Abraham, and Abraham returned to his place. So, yes, you can reason with God. You can plead with God. You can intercede. Well, that's another point we'll bring out later. Let's take another uh, example here in Deuteronomy, the ninth chapter. Deuteronomy, uh, verse 12. 
Make sure that you have that. If you're going to be bold in asking questions, be sure sure that you know, (laughs) as Abraham did, that you are dust and ashes if you're going to be that bold. Deuteronomy 9. I hear Moses is rehearsing the history of uh, Israel coming out of Egypt. And, of course, he talked about their sin in verse 16. They had made a golden a molded calf, and he took the two tablets and threw them out of my two hands and broke them before your eyes. Deuteronomy 9, verse 18. And I fell down before the Eternal as at the first forty days and forty nights I neither ate bread nor drank water. The second time, forty days and forty nights. For I was afraid of the anger and hot displeasure with which the Eternal was angry with you to destroy you. But the Eternal listened to me at that time also. He interceded for them. Verse 20, I prayed for Aaron also at the same time. And he tells them what he did. In verse 26, well, verse 25, I kept prostrating myself. You know, that's just lying flat on your face on the floor, or on the ground in this case. Verse 26, Therefore I prayed to the Eternal and said, O Lord Eternal, do not destroy your people, your inheritance whom you have redeemed through your greatness, whom you have brought out of Egypt with a mighty hand. So he again was asking God to save his people and intervene for them. But look back here and notice when God brought the corruption, Israel cup corruption to Moses' attention, verse 12, the Eternal said to me, Arise, go down quickly from here, for your, your people whom you brought out from Egypt have acted corruptly. And then verse 14, God says, Let me alone that I may destroy them and blot out their name from under heaven, and I will make of you, Moses, a nation mightier and greater than they. Wow. Yes, Lord, your will be done. Blot them out. And I want to be a big nation. (laughs) Oh, what an incredible intercessor Moses was. And see, we just read back in verse 26, because God had said, these are your people that you brought out of Egypt. And then Moses just turned it around and said, these are the people, Lord, you brought out of Egypt. So we need that attitude, the attitude of interceding and pleading for others, the same time as a form of godly negotiation. Take a look at one more example in uh, Psalm 6. Psalm 6. David was near death, and apparently when he was... uh, Pleading with God in Psalm 6. O Eternal, do not rebuke me in your anger, nor chasten me in your hot displeasure. Have mercy on me, O Eternal, for I am weak. O Eternal, heal me, for my bones are troubled. My soul also is greatly troubled, but you, O Eternal, how long? You know, I had pain last night. I was up in the middle of the night and just asking God to rebuke the pain. And uh, I, I... Hope that some of you cry aloud for mercy and when you are in trouble. Of course, it says in James, is any afflicted, let him pray. 
And I prayed last night, Lord, I'm afflicted. I'm praying. Uh, Please relieve me of this pain. And after a while, the pain was relieved. But David is crying out to God. My soul also is greatly troubled, verse 3. But you, O Eternal, how long? Return, O Eternal, deliver me. O save me for your mercy's sake. For in death there is no remembrance of you. If you're going to keep, David's pleading with God to keep him alive and heal him. So why should God keep him alive? David gives him a reason. Well, why should I save you, David? Well, for in death there is no remembrance of you in the grave who will give you thanks. If I'm in the grave, you're not going to hear me giving you thanks anymore. So you need to keep me alive so I can keep praising you and giving you thanks. He gave him a reason for that. So we need to negotiate in a godly way. And, of course, all the while it has to be a surrender of God's will. That is, to God's will, uh, just as Jesus said, not my will, but yours be done. And there has to be that same commitment. Just as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, well, my God will preserve us. But if he doesn't, let us know, King, we will not bow down to your idol. So they're still in that negotiation process and that pleading process, reasoning with God, there still has to be that commitment and that surrender and your will be done and not mine. Sometime the answer, of course, comes back, comes back, yes, uh, we'll follow what your request is. Sometimes it comes back, no. Sometimes it comes back, maybe. Let's see what happens over the next few years or months. And if your behavior changes, and we'll consider your request based on your progress, if you make any progress. One more section on uh, negotiating in a godly way. Uh, James, the fourth chapter. James 4. Make sure that your motivation is pure. James, the fourth chapter. And here we see that some prayers don't have the correct or the pure motivation. James 4, verse 1. Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for your pleasure that war in your members? You lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war. Yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. That's the gimme, gimme attitude in prayer. Remember, why do you need a raise in your salary? Is it selfish or is it you can serve more and help more? What is the motivation? So number two of stimulating your prayer life is negotiate in a godly way. Number three is ask for answers to puzzling problems. Inquire. Ask for understanding. Let's take a look at a couple examples here. Uh, Psalm 10. There were some circumstances that were puzzling to King David, or maybe he was a shepherd at the time. But when you look at society and you see what's going on in society, it's puzzling because why do the wicked prosper? Psalm 10. In this case, he's saying, why do you stand afar off, O Eternal? Why do you hide in times of trouble? 
The wicked in his pride persecutes the poor. Let them be caught in the plots which they have designed, uh, devised. Then he pleads with God to rise up in verse 12. And then verse 17. Eternal, you have heard the desire of the humble. You will prepare their heart. You will cause your ear to hear, to do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed, that the man of the earth may oppress no more. So it may be a matter of timing where God says in his way and his time, he will take care of the problem. Psalm 73. Psalm 73. So God is going to judge, but he's keeping hands off for a period of time for people to learn lessons the hard way. Psalm 73. Truly God is good to Israel to such as pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the boastful. I saw the prosperity of the wicked. And you see that around us as well. For there are no pangs in their death, but their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as other men, nor are they plagued like other men. Therefore, pride serves as their necklace. Violence covers them like a garment. Their eyes bulge with abundance. Very descriptive way. They have more than heart could wish. So David is puzzled. Why are they doing these things? They increase in riches. Verse 12. What was the answer? Verse 16. When I thought how to understand this, it was too painful for me until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their end. Surely you set them in slippery places. You cast them down to destruction. So when you have a puzzling question, you can't understand why is there so injustice in this situation? Why are the wicked prospering and seeming to get away with it? And yet we, poor people, are being impressed. It just seems not right. Well, God, in his overall wisdom, knows what's right. This is Romans 8.28, because all things work together for good for those who love God. So <clears throat> we realize that one of those keys to happiness is that we must ask for understanding. And uh, if you're lacking understanding... You pray for understanding to the answers to puzzling problems. Just as Dr. Meredith said, and we saw the uh, the uh, Life uh, Tribute video, I want to learn whatever lessons God wants me to learn through this trial. So we need to have that attitude when we can't understand, even whether it's an <clears throat> intellectual puzzle, or a life-threatening puzzle, ask God for understanding. As I brought out in a previous sermon, one of the most fundamental answers to the question or how to handle such a situation is in Job 34. Job 34. Job had his children 
He, well, it happened to him. God allowed Satan to attack his children, his cattle, his wealth. Then his body himself, there boils all over him, just sitting silent for seven days with his three friends around him. And, of course, in some ways, part of the discourse between Job and his three friends is humorous. It shows kind of vanity among both of them, all of them. But Elihu, the young man, was speaking on God's stead. When Job didn't understand what was happening, he thought he was in the right, and God knew that he was going to pass the test. Well, he actually proved that he passed the test. But here's what Elihu said. Job, this is how you should have handled the question when you didn't understand why you as a whole righteous man were suffering so much. Job 34, verse 31. For has anyone said to God, I have borne chastening, I will offend no more? I'm, I'm being punished, I'm suffering, I'm going through a great trial. Teach me what I do not see. If I have done iniquity, I will do no more. Have you said that, Job? And this is what we need to do in terms of our stimulating our prayer life. When we're going through trials, we don't understand why this is uh, this injustice is happening to me or why I'm going through this trial. This is a good prayer to pray and seek answers to puzzling problems. Inquire, ask God, help me to learn those lessons I need to learn. Number three, to stimulate your prayer life. Inquire. Ask God for answers to puzzling problems. Number four, confess. Confess your sins, your problems, your anxieties, your frustrations. Uh, Turn to Psalm 13. Psalm 13. Here, David was very open. We see that, of course, Abraham was pretty open as well, in kind of aggressive way. But he knew that he was dust and ashes. But David was very open. Psalm 13. In some ways it's a complaint, but not a complaint with uh, um, charging God with sin at all, but trying to understand how long, O eternal, will you forget me forever? (laughs) How long is it going to be? How long will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel of my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and hear me, O eternal my God. Enlighten my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death, lest my enemy say I have prevailed against him. Lest those who trouble me rejoice when I have moved. But I have trusted in your mercy, My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Eternal because he has dealt bountifully with me. You might notice, of course, in some of, um, well, often in uh, David's Psalms, where he starts off with a complaint, he ends up with a positive statement, a hopeful statement, one of faith expecting that God is going to intervene for him. I will sing to the Eternal because he has dealt bountifully with me. Consider and hear me, O eternal my God. So we need to confess our sins. Psalm 5, 
Is it Psalm 5 or Psalm 51? A little better. I think it's probably a little glitch here in my notes. It must be 51, I'm sure. You know, 51 applies in any case. Psalm 51. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. And it cleanse me from my sin. Strategy for improving and stimulating your prayer life, confess. Verse 4, verse 3, For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight, that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Well, obviously, we sin against other people, but in sinning against other people, we transgress the Ten Commandments, which is sinning against God. So David prayed for forgiveness. He acknowledged his sins. And we know 1 John 1 and verse 9, but we should at this point reveal that again, repeat it. 1 John 1 and verse 9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So sometimes we are blinded to our sins and have to ask God to reveal those sins and hidden motivations and carnal deep thoughts which we blind ourselves to, as Elihu told Job. This is what you need to do. If I have committed sins, I will do no more. Show me what I don't see, in other words. So confess your sins. Discuss everything. Be open to God. I think I mentioned to you before one time I was uh, in a rush. I just on the big sandy campus, I had a, a Buick Opal. I had the window partly uh, cranked down, and I was in a hurry. And I rushed into the car and I scraped my ear on the top of the window, and it was just excruciating pain. And I just yelled. I got into the car and said, Father, forgive me. I'm sorry. I had done, I was the cause of the injury to my ear. I was careless in a hurry. And after I prayed that, Father, forgive me. I'm sorry. The pain went away. We sometimes need to acknowledge our sins, and God will forgive us. One of the uh, keys to happiness, of course, is to confess our sins, and God will forgive us. Along with uh, tomorrow's World Bible course, I referred to earlier, of course, we have Dr. Meredith's uh, booklet, uh, Twelve Keys to Answer Prayer. And some of these strategies, of course, will overlap in the sermon today. If it's been a while, you might want to refresh your reading of Twelve Keys to Answer Prayer. And, of course, on one of, that, one of the uh, keys, key number three, is deeply repent of your sins. So that, again, ties in with this strategy. Confess your sins, problems, anxieties, and frustration. Just be open with God. 
The fourth strategy for stimulating your prayer life is to confess and be open with God. Number five is to wrestle with God. Wrestle with God in prayer. We know that Jacob physically wrestled with the eternal back in Genesis, the 32nd chapter. Quite an amazing story that the creator of the universe allowed a human being to actually wrestle with him. I think I've told you before, when I was director of admissions at Ambassador College, uh, whenever one of the young men had on his resume, on his application, that he would wrestle in high school, we knew that he was a tenacious uh, individual and had uh, extra consideration in applying for admission. Here in Genesis 32nd chapter, starting with uh, verse 24, Then Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. The New King James Version has man capitalized, obviously knowing it was the eternal. Now when he saw that he, that is, he is capitalized, meaning the eternal, did not prevail against him, that is Jacob, the eternal touched the socket of his hip, and the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And the eternal said, let me go for the day breaks. But he said, Jacob said, I will not let you go until you bless me. So he said, what is your name? He said, Jacob. Verse 28, he said, your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel, for you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. So the very name Israel came from that event, that wrestling match of Jacob with the eternal. But we can wrestle also in prayer. Many years ago, I was called to go to a family because they had not had a doctor. The woman was pregnant, was about trying to deliver a baby, but it was a breech birth. They called me over to pray and anoint because the baby was not being born. And uh, it would have been a problem for the college and the church because it was a, a student's wife. And beside that, um, if anything dangerous would have gone, she would not have had any medical backup or uh, monitoring for the situation. So I went back to my home and uh, I said, I'm going to wrestle with you. I'm going to pray for a full hour for the birth of that baby because it could be a disastrous thing. And I wrestled in prayer with God for an hour. And I called back, and I found out later that 15 minutes after I left, the baby was born. So I wrestled for more than 45 minutes after the baby was born. But God let me do it, because I was intending to do that. So you can wrestle with God in prayer. In fact, you might turn to uh, Colossians 4, verse 12. Here was a man who prayed for God's people regularly, Epiphus, Colossians, the fourth chapter. He was quite a, a man. God commends him. Colossians 4 and verse 12. Epiphus, who is one of you, the apostle Paul writes, a bondservant of Christ greets you always, laboring fervently for you in prayer, that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. 
Well, here's a man who was laboring fervently. Interesting enough, the NIV translates it, he is always wrestling in prayer for you. The NRSV, always wrestling in his prayers on your behalf. So, brethren, we need to be laboring fervently in prayer for our brethren and wrestling with God. So, here are some of the examples of wrestling in prayer with God. We persevere in prayer. We never give up. I think I mentioned to you that one story I had this, you know, I have this week at a glance that I carry around. I write my little lessons in it, and I write down my mileage in it and so forth. And and uh, I lost this, and it was missing for about three and a half months. And I kept praying. I, I thought I went to the restaurant where I thought I may have lost it. It was not there. And I was sitting by the window in my bedroom in a chair looking out the window at the trees, and I just happened to glance down at the bottom of the bed, and underneath the bed, there it was. Three and a half months, I missed that that week at a glance. That, to me, was a very valuable possession. But I persevered in prayer. In fact, that was a must-play sermon, uh, number 733, uh, Persevere in Prayer. Luke 18, I won't turn there, you know that story. It's the... Uh, the importunate widow. And Jesus gave that example that men not always to pray and not faint. So here's the widow that went to the unjust judge. And God said, you know, follow her example of perseverance. He spoke a parable to them that men ought always to pray and not lose heart. One spiritual tool, and we've already read that from the Tomorrow's World uh, Bible study course of the tools for spiritual growth. When I was a freshman at Ambassador College, um, I was taking Dr. Meredith's class on life and teachings of Jesus, and I was enjoying every morning I would go out and uh, sit by the Italian gardens and sit on one of the uh, big uh, pillars or kind of a stone fence and look at the fountains and the beautiful flowers, and I would pray sitting down. I thought that was an enjoyable way of, of praying. But then Dr. Meredith said in class one day, he said, well, for all of those of you who are going to grow spiritually, you need to be praying a half an hour a day on your knees. Uh-oh, now i got to go on my knees in a prayer closet rather than being out here in this beautiful Italian garden. But, you know, I really, from that day on, I don't know how many years it was that until some of my disabilities and my back problems, I was unable to pray on my knees a half an hour a day, but probably decades, I I can't tell when. But Dr. Meredith's exhortation, in fact, that is also in the Ambassador College Bible Study course, Ambassador College Correspondence course, that Mr. Armstrong recommended the same thing. And I didn't, wasn't able to find the quote. If some of you can find that, let me know. But personally, for me, I know personally, if I had not been praying a half an hour on my knees of all the trials and tribulations, ups and downs, I would not be here today. And I thank God for Dr. Meredith's exhortation 
1963 or 1962, whatever it was when he said that. So are you consistent and are you persevering in prayer? Of course, you need to make sure that you're not letting a day go by without prayer. But yes, what about a woman's point of view? You know, the point was that those who are growing spiritually should pray that much. And, of course, that's not a sin if you don't pray a half an hour a day on your knees. But the Apostle Paul, well, let me just read that, just the way of rehearsal. Ephesians, the third chapter, looking back on that, Ephesians 3.14. For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul was on his knees. Of course, when it was a day and a night and a deep, he wasn't on his knees either. And when he was shackled in prison where he couldn't get on his knees, he wasn't praying on his knees either. But this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ from the whole family in heaven and earth is named. Years ago, we had uh, an article in Plain Truth magazine from a woman's point of view, a mother How can she, with all the babies crying and so forth, how can she pray? Now, this was an article in uh, Plain Truth magazine. I'm sorry, the Good News magazine. She writes from a mother's point of view. Each day, do the best that you can. Make whatever adjustments you need to continue to develop a closer relationship with God. Pray in shorter increments. Pray while you are nursing. That's one time the baby isn't crying and isn't into anything. Use a prayer journal and have a, quote, to be continued, end of quote, letter going. Whatever time of day that works for you is the right time to pray. However you can, in your circumstances, continue your daily walk with God. But those who can need to make sure that they're humbling themselves. We already saw that Moses prostrated himself for 40 days without food and water. So number five in stimulating your prayer life, wrestle with God in prayer. Number six, we've also already given examples of this, intercede. Intercede. Give prayers of intercession. Ask God to do great things. Turn to James, the fifth chapter. Of course, we know this by heart. We pray for one another. In fact, we have a sermon by that title, Pray for One Another. James, the fifth chapter. That was sermon number 654, Pray for One Another. James 5, verse 16. James 5. Confess your trespasses to one another. Well, here's <clears throat> crossover, one of those keys to stimulating strategies to stimulating your prayer life. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails not much. And he gives the example of Elijah, of course, who was a man just like we are. And he prayed, and it didn't rain for three years and six months, and prayed again. But he was a man, human being, who had carnal nature, overcoming it with God's nature. So we have to pray for one another. We heard 
And the announcements uh, Mr. McNair gave today to be praying for the baby, Lily, and for Ellie Stegelitz and Janice White. So I hope you wrote down those names and that you are praying for them and you're interceding for them. In 1 Timothy 2, we also need to pray for those who are in authority that we may lead a peaceful life in all godliness and honesty. 1 Timothy 2, Therefore I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions intercessory prayer, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. So when was the last time you prayed for a civil servant or someone in government? Certainly uh, want to pray for regardless of their political orientation. Uh, I'm sure that those who were the uh, Roman Empire were not all that uh, people of integrity. And yet Paul says you need to pray for them. The mayor of Charlotte is Jennifer Roberts. Uh, You might put her down on your list for praying for her. And also a governor of North Carolina is Roy Cooper. Uh, Prime Minister of Great Britain, have you seen the news of the elections going on? Theresa May, pray for her. Of course, President Donald Trump and others that you need to pray for. By the way, uh, Prince Philip is uh, of Great Britain is six, uh, 96 years old today. That is uh, whatever today is, June 10th. And, uh, of course, her, the uh, consort of Her Majesty... Queen Elizabeth. So ask God to intervene in world affairs, world problems. Turn to Psalm 144. I know Dr. Meredith uh, prayed, said one time he was really praying for big things to happen. And I don't know if it was this psalm, but it was similar in his request, Psalm 144. Verse 5, bow down your heavens, O eternal, and come down. Touch the mountains, they shall smoke. He was praying something along that line, that God would do big things. And after he prayed that, there were some volcanic eruptions around the world. So I remember Dr. Meredith's prayer, looking at this similar expression of David's prayer. Flash forth lightning and scatter them, shoot out your arrows and destroy them. You know, you might say, well, well, who am I to ask God to do big things to intervene in world affairs? Well, you can. I think I mentioned to you before that I, I prayed that the president would do something right. And he did. I don't remember what it was, but he did something right. And so you can pray for big things around there that God will intervene. And uh, whether it's uh, uh, stirring up volcanoes or uh, God controls the weather, we just reviewed uh, Mr. McNair's uh, telecast on the miracle of Dunkirk, which will be aired, uh, I think, in July sometime, uh, where we're offering uh, who controls the weather. 
and you realize God is intervening in world affairs. So, number six, stimulating your prayer life. Intercede. Ask God to do things and pray for others. Number seven, in stimulating your prayer life, follow Christ's specific instructions. What did Jesus tell you to pray? Now, I would venture to say that probably a good 70 or 80 percent have not followed that instruction either in another week or a month. Let's look at two specific instructions that Jesus told us to pray and see whether you prayed this or not. Maybe it'll be a reminder for you today that this you need to put this on your prayer list. Let's turn to Matthew, the 24th chapter. Matthew 24. And this is the context of the Great Tribulation. He says, when you see the abomination of desolation, uh, let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Don't go back uh, into your house. If you're in the field, don't go back for your clothes. Verse 19, but woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. I think you would want to pray uh, that you would not be pregnant or nursing babies in those days. But what did he say? Verse 20, and pray that your flight may not be in winter or on the Sabbath day, for then shall be great tribulation. When was the last time, if you've ever prayed what Jesus instructed you to pray, that your flight not be in the winter or on the Sabbath day? We had uh, our friends, uh, Mr. and Mrs. Bob Howington down in Georgia. We were at uh, went camping together uh, in a cabin in Ogle, Vogel State Park. We had no um, phone, no television. Um, we uh, were in a cabin uh, two nights, and I got a text message from uh, one of my friends saying, uh, there's a storm coming your way. You might want to evacuate from the mountain up there. And, and uh, we decided, well, we'll wait and see. And about 2 o'clock in the morning, uh, um, Mrs. Howington knocked on the door, Mr. Howington knocked on the door. I had already packed just in case uh, that we needed to flee from the uh, coming snowstorm. And it started raining. So we decided we would pack up and leave at 2 o'clock in the morning. And by the time we got all our goods in the car, it started to coming down in snow. And we then we drove, the two of us, we followed their car. And going up over the mountain, slipping and sliding, finally went down on the other side of the mountain. Pray that your flight be not in the winter. It was a real live uh, object lesson for all of us at that time. So have you prayed that? If not, follow the instructions from Jesus here in Matthew 24. Then also Matthew 9, verse 27. That's 37. Matthew 9, verse 37 we exhort you to do this every once in a while, so perhaps you've done this more than you have praying for your flight in the winter and the Sabbath day. Verse 37, Matthew 9. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, plentiful, but the laborers are few. 
Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So I hope you've been doing that. And I pray every, every day, every night for more co-workers, more donors, more members, more ministers, more laborers into the harvest. And I hope you are doing so as well. When we have the semi-annual letter and the co-worker letters and uh, actually the direct mail campaigns, uh, we inevitably get more co-workers and donors uh, coming into the work. But uh, Jesus said you need to pray that. And uh, frankly, our income has been fairly flat over a long period of time. God had blessed us last year with a good 6% 6 or more increase in income over the year. But you need to pray for more laborers to go into the harvest so that we can go through more open doors. Matthew, the fifth chapter. And uh, you've heard this exhortation, of course, many times before. What did Jesus say you should pray for? Matthew 5, verse 44. Of course, you've heard that you shall love your enemy, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, chapter 5, verse 44 of Matthew, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Another instruction from Christ on what to pray. Pray for your enemies. Pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be the sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes his son rise to go on, son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Then in chapter 6, of course, he gives us the outline prayer, the model prayer, Matthew 6 and uh, verse 7. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask Him, but you still need to ask. After this manner, therefore, pray. So when was the last time you followed the outline prayer? It's a model prayer that gives you topics upon which to pray. And I know in one, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. In times past, not more recently, I've spent a whole hour on just the one topic of God's name. Even being the creator and just rehearsing with God all the wonderful impressions of his creation that just are marvelous to me. I mean, even just... Yesterday, I noticed my wife, I mentioned to my wife as I was going out the front door to the office, look at this tulip tree right here, that beautiful tulip bud, how beautiful it is, and all these roses are, are blooming out, how blossom, how wonderful it is. You're honoring God's name. So hopefully you're following that outline prayer uh, once in a while, at least, and uh, praying fervently every single day. So... Number seven, follow Christ's specific instructions. And again, the uh, 12 keys to answered prayer, uh, number six of Dr. Meredith is seek God's will. So you want to pray according to God's will. Number eight, 
pray for the work. And of course, we just mentioned Matthew 9, verses 36 and 38, to pray for more laborers. And uh, when you pray for your brethren as well, now some of you that are new here do not have this. This is the fall 2016 uh, Living Church of God Charlotte Congregational Photo Directory. And this will help you in praying for the work, praying for that facet of God's work in the local congregation here. And uh, that will be helpful to you. You pray for the ministry and, of course, even the church bulletin, today's church bulletin, uh, lists the ministry, the deacons and deaconesses that you can be praying for. And, of course, the prayer requests we heard in the announcements. But the, the work overall, think about the semi-annual letter. Um, thankfully, we've been getting a very good response from the uh, semi-annual letter. Let's see if I can find the... Okay. So far, uh, and this is just over about a five-week period since we sent out the semi-annual letter offering the DVD on the occult and the spirit world. We've received, as of yesterday, 25,846 envelopes. That's a 9.0 response in just uh, five weeks. So they're still coming in. Even yesterday, 748 envelopes came in from the semi-annual response. So you'll need to be praying for that, praying for every co-worker letter that Mr. Weston will be writing in the future. Uh, we did not have a co-worker last month because it was a semi-annual letter, but we'll have another uh, co-worker letter coming up, and I thought, no, you want to be praying for it, and praying for the telecast, praying for uh, the Tomorrow's World uh, Presentations and even today, you're going to still pray for Mr. Weston giving a Tomorrow's World presentation in uh, Portland, Oregon. So you can even pray here as you're sitting for that Tomorrow's World presentation in Portland, Oregon. And there's another one in Kalamazoo, Michigan today. I'm not sure who's presenting that. But Mr. Weston will also, and I think it's Brandon Fall uh, with uh, Mr. Weston and both cases tomorrow will be in Kennewick, Washington. So Dr. Mr. Weston and Brandon Fall in that tomorrow's world presentation tomorrow will be praying for that. So pray for God's work. And you know, I won't turn there, John 4.34. My meat, my food is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. The heart and core of our commitment our crusade, the mission that Christ has given us. So you want to be praying for the telecasts, praying for the publications, the Internet initiatives, and all of the outreach gospel going out to the whole world. And, of course, you want to see the telecast. We saw the one here today by Mr. McNair, and the one this weekend by Mr. Wally Smith, How Can You Defeat the Devil? So number eight is to pray for the work. Number nine is to claim God's promises boldly. Now, we had a whole sermon on that, so I won't spend too much time on that. That is uh, sermon number 972, claim God's promises. That was just sent out to all the local churches. Turn to Second Peter, the second chapter, First Peter. Second Peter, the first chapter. 
Second Peter chapter 1. Verse 2. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. As His divine power has given to us all things. The world complains that it doesn't have enough, and yet God spiritually has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of Him who called us by glory and virtue by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises. So as I mentioned in that sermon on claim God's promises, he not only just gives us promises, he gives us precious promises. And not only precious promises, but great and precious promises. And not only great and precious promises, but exceedingly great and precious promises. I don't know how many times you've claimed God's promises, but it should be a way of life with all of us because he's given us those promises that we may be partakers of his divine nature. We've just observed Pentecost, and we know that God has begotten us by his Holy Spirit. And for all the children, God's Spirit is with us our children. So you children need to pray that God's Spirit will continually be with you. And those who have God's Spirit need to pray that your God will renew His Holy Spirit in you daily. Because that's the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. There are so many I think I mentioned that sermon that you have various books and all the promises of the Bible and Some estimate there are about 3,500 promises in the Bible. But just, what are some of your favorite promises? You know, Philippians 4.19. My God shall provide all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Whether it's spiritual need, physical need. Luke 11.13. If you being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more will your heavenly Father Give the gift of the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him. We need to be renewed daily in God's Spirit. Then the promise of forgiveness we already read, 1 John 1 and verse 9. He's faithful to forgive us our sins. And one of my favorite promises, Psalm 34, 7. Delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. Trust also in the Lord, and he will bring it to pass. Those are some of my favorite promises. And, of course, the desires of your heart have to be godly desires. And when and now we just, uh, that is, Israel just celebrated their 70th anniversary of the Six-Day War and the uniting of both parts of Jerusalem into one city, which had previously been divided. And in 1967, I prayed for one of the desires of my heart, to visit Jerusalem. And 17 years later, in 1984, God gave me and my wife that opportunity to go to the archaeological dig in the city of David 
and to be there in Jerusalem, which since I've been there three times. But I had to pray for 17 years before God gave me that specific desire of my heart. But he fulfilled that promise. Many other promises, but we'll go on. I, we have uh, the January, February 2017, Tomorrow's World Magazine, had the article, The Treasure of God's Promises. So number nine, claim God's promises boldly. It says in Hebrews 4.16, come boldly before the throne of God, that you may, the throne of grace that you may obtain grace and mercy in a time of need. And we heard that in the opening prayer by Mr. Jim Meredith. Well, it's a throne of grace. We come boldly before that throne. Number 10, always give thanks and praise. Always give thanks and praise. You know, I've heard uh, some of our brethren over the years, and they say, well, I don't know what to pray about. <laughs> I don't know what to pray about. Oh, well, just look around what's going on in the world and pray for God's kingdom to come. That's not, that should be immediate. But if you don't know what to pray about, just ask God, just thank God for all the things you can think about our blessings that he's given you. Thank God always. Philippians 4, 6. We'll turn back there. Philippians 4, 6. When you're anxious, you pray to God with supplications and prayers, and again, giving him reasonings. Philippians 4, verse 6. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, make your, let your requests be known to God. Just like David said, well, in the grave you're not going to hear me giving you thanks or praise. You need to keep me alive. Let your requests be made known to God. But how? With thanksgiving. And again, that is a, a test of faith and a kind of almost... Uh, enforces faith upon you. In verse 4, rejoice in the Lord. Always again, I say rejoice. So you want to always praise God. You want to rejoice. And, of course, we have even in your church bulletin today comments from the CAD director, keys to happiness and joy. And, of course, he does mention Philippians 4.4 4 and Philippians 4.8. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, noble, just, pure, lovely, of a good report. There be a virtue and a praise where they meditate on these things. So always give thanksgiving. Thank God for all the blessings he gives you. We haven't talked much about the uh, positions in prayer or uh, much what we did mention about uh, praying on, on your knees. There's a poem by Edgar Guest called The Difference. The proper way for a man to pray, said Deacon Lemuel Keyes, and the only proper attitude is down upon your knees. Nay, I should say the way to pray, said Pastor Dr. Wise, is standing straight with outstretched arms and wrapped in upturned eyes. 
Oh, no, 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 said elders, no. Such posture is too proud. A man should pray with eyes fast closed and head contritely bowed. It seems to me his hand should be austerely clasped in front with both thumbs pointing toward the ground, said Pastor Dr. Blunt. Last year, I fell in Hodgkin's well. Head first, said Cyrus Brown, with both my heels a-sticking up, my head a-pointing down. And I made a prayer right then and there, best prayer I ever said, the prayingest prayer I ever prayed, a-standing on my head. Amen. So, brethren, fewer prayers are in a rut. We've discussed briefly strategies to stimulate your prayer life. Let God know your thoughts. Be open and honest with him. And with the self-disclosure, the same kind of expression King David did, letting letting God know his frustrations in prayer. Are you going to forget me forever? Be willing to reason with God and negotiate God and Trust God to answer your prayer according to His will and His time and His way. And just as the original New Testament church produced the fruits of the Spirit, may we also walk in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. So stimulate your prayer life. Draw near to God, and He will draw near to you.